Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. Later on in the programme, I will be talking to Kevin Comiskey, uh, who is the national chairperson with the IFA Sheep Committee. I will also be talking to Harold Kingston from the IFA about the Climate Change Conference in Thoman Park next week. And my final guest this morning will be Martin Hayden, TD, Minister for State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. My first guest this morning is Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal. And as you all know that uh, Aidan is a dairy editor and we're going to talk about dairying and some of the changes that are going to take place in 2023. And maybe some some of you are very au fait with them and others haven't really thought about them as of yet because maybe your calving season hasn't begun. Good morning, Aidan, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jim. Okay, Aidan, now what kind of changes are coming down the line? I know they've got to do with the nitrates. Yeah, so well, look, every couple of years, the Department of Agriculture review Ireland's Nitrates Action Programme. And the current review was, was is, is starting now again in, in 2023 and this year. So there's a whole raft of changes coming. And I suppose the biggest one is probably affecting dairy farmers in terms of banding. So this is where each dairy cow in Ireland is now being assigned a different level of organic nitrogen per cow based on her historic milk yield or the farm's historic milk yield. And I suppose, look, a couple of years ago, Jim, every dairy cow in the country was classified as producing 85 kilos of organic nitrogen per cow. That's now changing. So every dairy herd will have a different figure based on their milk yield. And those higher yielding herds are going to go from 85 to 106 kilos per cow. And I suppose, why is this important and what impact it, it, does it make, Jim, is that there's a limit on how many, on, on the level of organic nitrogen per hectare. So the, to get into derogation, you, you, you have to be above, you know, 170 kilograms. And to stay into derogation, then, you can't go above 250. So for, for a lot of dairy farmers that are in derogation, or a lot of livestock farmers in derogation, they can't go any more than, than 250. But it means now that if you have a high-yielding herd of cows, you're more likely to hit the top band much quicker than before. So it will have big implications for some farmers. And you have to, you see already some people are have to get extra land or talk about reducing cow numbers or reducing milk yield so they might fall into the lower band and be able to carry the same number of stock at the moment. So that's a big change that's coming uh, down the line, Jim. OK, any other change that we should be aware of? There's another, there's another fairly substantial one. Uh, it's to do with soil sampling. So up to now, um, you know, farmers that weren't in the derogation, so these were, you know, relatively lowly stocked farmers, anyone above 130 kilograms of organic nitrogen per hectare, but less than 170, they didn't really have to do soil sampling. It wasn't mandatory. But now with the mandatory requirement for those farmers, <clears throat> if they want to buy in any chemical fertilizer, such as chemical um, phosphorus, or indeed import slurry. So we would have seen before farmers in this category might have imported slurry from their neighbouring dairy or, or, or pig farms. They won't be able to do that anymore unless they, they have the soil samples taken because, um, and you know, there's a need, you know, there's a clear requirement for, for, for extra nutrients based on the soil sampling results. Otherwise, the Department of Agriculture will presume that they're already at index four and therefore don't need it. So that's going to bring up to 30,000 farmers across the country into this, you know, requirement for soil sampling. So it's a major change. 
And, and, and look, there's one of, there's a whole raft of changes really, but th- those two are, are some of the biggest ones. There's also changes coming down in terms of the way farmers can spread slurry. So these low emission slurry spreading devices, Jim, that you've seen in the back of slurry tanks across the country, and we'll see them again now in a few weeks' time when the season opens again. They are now mandatory for m- many more farmers than they would have been previously. So up to now, it was only the larger, or the, I should say the higher stocked farmers that were required to use low emission slurry spreading. That's now you know, moving down the line. And over the next five years, all farmers in Ireland will have to use low emission slurry spreading when, when, when spreading slurry. So I suppose it'll help the smell, it'll help the, the nitrogen losses and the ammonia losses, so that's a positive, and it'll also make the, um, the slurry more available, I suppose, for plant growth. But it's, it's still a big cost and it's a big change for those that are used to using the old system of smash plate spreading. So um, that's a sample, Jim, of some of, the, some of the bigger changes. But there's other ones there as well. Yeah, OK. Uh, staying with the slurry ones, uh, is there changes to the dates? There's, there's, there's no change to the, the, the date that, that slurry can be applied on. So for, for this area, it, yeah. it's, it's still the 13th of January. But there is a change to the date that they can apply uh, the opening round of, of chemicals fertilizer that that's been put back a bit before you could apply that in the same date you could spread slurry that's now go back to the 26th of, of january and the 29th of january for for zone b so there is there is a a change there but not many farmers would have went with the bag nitrogen you know that early anyway jim so it probably won't affect too many people there is of course changes to to, to, to slurry close period so from that's not going to affect us really until next october uh. So before you could apply slurry on the land up until the 15th of October, then this year, the, you know, autumn just gone, they, it was brought back to the 8th of October. And for next season, next spring, next autumn, I should say, it's going to be down to the 1st of October. So it means farmers would have to be on the ball in terms of getting the slurry tanks emptied in time. And I suppose they'd be crossing their fingers and toes, hoping that cattle don't need to be housed between, um, you know, too early before before the close period, or, or else they won't be able to spread that until until the following spring. So, uh, I suppose that and and different rules on on soil water storage as well. So this is another thing that's kicking in. You won't be able to spread soil water for a, a two week period next year, uh, but the year after that, then you need to have enough storage in place for four weeks. So that's going to mean that many farmers are going to have to have extra storage capacity for their soil water, but they won't be able to spread it for the full month of December. It's just tightening the noose, Jim, you know, on, on yeah. animal practice and um, and making sure that, uh, you know, farmers aren't applying nutrients at the wrong time of the year. So, it's, uh, you know, the department, I suppose, are, are using these rules to, um, to ensure water quality improves. Right. Now, of course, there's another very important event coming up next week, and I'm quite sure you're going to talk about it, and that is Progressive Dairy Farmers uh, Conference. Yes, Jim, the, the, the Positive Farmers Positive, Conference I always call it Progressive, I don't know. Positive <laughs> Dairy Farmers, sorry, uh, uh, Conference. It's, it's for Progressive and Positive Farmers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yes, Jim, the, the 11th and 12th of January, it's a two-day event, but, but people that are interested in attending can also go for, for one of the days. It's on Ellison Blue Hotel in Little Island in Cork. But, uh, Jim, I go there every year. I, I, I really enjoy it. it it's a great you know, buzz up in advance of the busy calving season. It'll allow you to recharge the batteries. Um, you'll hear from scientists and farmers and, 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 and experts from across the world. It's a good networking opportunity as well. You know, there's, it's, it's a two-day event, so we can stay overnight and, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a gala dinner on, on the night in between. So it's a good social event, a good networking event. We have speakers, from, from, as I say, from New Zealand, from Wales, 
We have a farmer from Waterford who's going to talk about biodiversity. And importantly, this year, it's, it's, it's a very interesting session on, on couples in farming. So this is, you know, typically your husband and wife. And a lot of time, you know, the partner that moves on to the farm finds it a challenging experience, you know, because not only are they marrying into uh, a farm, they're also marrying into a family and it's all intertwined. So we have a great couple um, speaking there on, on that topic. And, and, and I think it's going to be important because it's an important one. And there's, a, there's a lot of research that's happening on it in, in Chagas. So there's a, it can be a good session for those people who maybe are navigating their way through those kind of experiences. So that's just a flavour, really, of what's on. But people can book into, uh, into the conference on www.positivefarmers.ie. And as I said, it's a great two-day event. Right, Rightio. Anything else you'd like to highlight before I let you off? No, listen, the Farmer Journal is out again this week. It's out every, it's out every Thursday. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to, uh, to pick up a copy of it. We have a great front-page story this week on the impact of, of these satellite imagery. You know? So we're going to be, uh, four times a week now, farmers are going to be viewed on what they're getting up to on their farms with these new satellites. So there's full details available in the Farmer Journal this week. Yeah, I suppose that's something that might be of uh, concern, uh, being the spy in the sky, as the fella said. There was a lot of talk about it when it came in first. There doesn't seem to be much talk about it now. People have got used to it, have they? They've got used to it, but I suppose a lot of time we don't know it's there, but it's still watching us. And um, I suppose there's so many schemes on now between the, the new changes, the cap changes to this, you know, the new acre scheme. Um, what's actually happening on farms now is going to be viewed, you know, viewed a lot more. It's going to have such an impact in terms of payments for different schemes. So um, I suppose, look, it's, it's, it's a fact of life, but people need to be aware that they're being watched, even if they don't, you know, if you can't see something from the road, they're still being watched. Right, Rightio, and I suppose your message to everybody. So if you haven't already got this week's journal, go out and buy it now because all the details with regard to the spy in the sky is on it. That's it, exactly. Okay, well, look at Aidan. Thanks very much for taking our call. That listeners was uh, Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Kevin Comiskey, who is the national chair of the IFA's National Sheep Committee. And the last week, and particularly here in County Tipperary, over the Christmas period, we've had a very serious dog attack on sheep. And an awful lot of sheep have been lost in one farmer's flock. And dogs worrying sheep is something that we just cannot put up with any longer. And Kevin is with me uh, to talk about it. Good morning, Kevin, and thanks very much for joining me. Good morning, Jim, and good morning to your listeners. And, and uh, it's it's a happy new year to, to everybody. Oh, oh, and, the same, and the same to you and to all your committee members. Kevin, I suppose before we start talking about the problems with dogs worrying sheep and how important it is that uh, dogs are kept under control, uh, you know, we haven't spoken before. Can you give me a little bit of your background? Um, well, Jim, I'm from County Leitrim, a sheep farmer, sheep and suckler farmer in, in County Leitrim. And I've been on the sheep committee. I was the county rep here in Leitrim for uh, almost six years when I got the privilege of being elected. Then last January, the 27th of January uh, in 2022, I was elected as chairman. I held vice chairman for about four years before, previous to that. And I suppose indeed in them six years, every time that we had a meeting on the agenda was dog attacks. And it was one of the things I, I said at the time when I was elected and before I was elected, it was going to be a priority of mine to try and get the whole thing, legislation and everything uh, into place for, for this to get it sorted out once and for all. 
Now, the IFA are calling for three things to happen that will help to alleviate dog attacks on sheep. Can you spell those out for my listeners? Yes, indeed, after... The 27th of January, indeed, the day I was elected, Minister Humphreys and Minister McConnell stood on a farm in uh, Dublin, in County Dublin, and they were highlighting again the issues of dog control and all that and how dangerous dogs can be attacking sheep on farms. So we put together proposals then after that at my first meeting, and indeed we had them uh, lined up even before that. But microchipping is one very important. My, all dogs must be microchipped. They must be then licensed and the license linked to an appropriate responsible owner. Mm -hmm. Then a single national database as well set up that they'll be recordable and linked to the owners. And then on top of that, uh, fines and penalties put in place to reflect the horrendous damage that these dogs can attack on farms, like we have seen uh, recently in your own county there in Monegal and in Laura. Uh, horrific huge numbers of sheep uh, slaughtered on farms so they're the, the things and and along with that that coincides with that is enforcement you can have all the laws in the country Jim but if you haven't enforcement it needs to be enforced strongly and Kevin tell me this okay you had three points that were pointed out to the minister and her officials has any progress been made on any one of those three uh, to date Unfortunately, Jim, no. Now, we had done it and we had meetings with them and it's it's going across three departments, Minister Humphreys, Minister McConnell and then for the local authorities, it's Minister Darrow Breen. And what I've called the other day is an emergency meeting now between the three ministers. I've asked Minister McConnell to get the three ministers, both himself and the other two, round the table, and I was myself and committee members from the IFA, and get this sorted out and dealt with. I mean, get legislation, if it has to be emergency legislation enacted, and let Minister McConnell maybe take over the responsibility and take ownership of it. Right, so you're basically then calling for the Department of Agriculture to take over rather than to have it spread across three other departments. That's right, to, to take, to take mm. it into one because it's been the book has been thrown, Jim, from one to another, you know, microchipped and then it's thrown over to licensing and then it's thrown over to enforcement and penalties and all this. And it needs to be one department dealing with it and one person have be in charge and have ownership of it. There's also, I, I suppose, a human side to it. From your experience, and you've been involved in with sheep for a long time, Kevin, how distressing is it for the farm family when it's, sheep are attacked? It's it's horrific. I witnessed it myself over the years. I witnessed it in, in here, even in my own county, on, on St. Stephen's Estate last year in 2022. 25 sheep was killed out of a number of 65 was in the bunch. I'm getting phone calls. I know these ones is highlighted because of the huge numbers involved, mm -hmm. but I'm getting phone calls on a daily, weekly basis of even smaller numbers that goes under the radar, Jim. But it's horrific. I visited that farm in Moneygall and to go down and see up on 50 sheep killed there uh, in a pile. And, you know, the horrendous for them two young lads to go out, the man's sons to go out and collect them. And indeed, listening to the to that lady and, and the Donahue lady on the 
uh, television the other night, you know, how the neighbours went out even indeed and, and helped and, and one of the neighbours crying going around the field, you know, trying. It's it's a horrific experience to go around and gather your livestock that you've cared for and looked after and to see them slaughtered in that fashion around the field. It's it's. Uh, you know, people talk about mental health and awareness and everything, but it, 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 it's it's a horrendous effect on, on farm families, not not even to mention the financial cost and everything, you know, all involved as well. OK, and you mentioned the, the bit that was on RTE News uh, during, the, during the week. Uh, even looking at some of the sheep that had survived, uh, you know, you, you, you would say that they were in a horrific state. Horrific state, and and a lot of them the sheep that's injured and that they won't thrive, and and no. you know probably eventually, unfortunately, maybe we'll have to will die or maybe even have to be put down. And um, you know, the older farmers, in my experience, down through the years, would always tell you if if dogs attack your sheep, they never ever thrive well again because if they see a dog, they're worried, and you know they never do the same. So it's it's not even the, the the slaughter and the kill of them is one thing, but they never thrive the same. I remember years and years ago, an elderly man saying to me, if your dog is attacked sheep and that, you're nearly as well get out of all the sheep and get a new, a new flock in again, because it's, it's horrendous the effect it has on them. Okay, we'll leave the, the dog attack at one side for a uh, for the next couple of minutes, uh, Kevin. Sheep in general, how are they performing and are sheep farmers happy with the price they're getting currently? They're, they're, they're not indeed. They're, they're mm-hmm. not. The, the input cost is a huge issue now and yeah. the whole cost around farming. And it's a very low income sector and the, the marketplace isn't reflecting the, the price that we're getting for the sheep, you know, to, the, mm-hmm. with the cost of inputs and everything. You know, they're hoovering in around 660 at the minute per kilo up to 22 or 23 kilos and it's it's you know the when you add in the tons of nuts that's maybe up north of 450 up to 500 euros a ton and all the costs are associated around that it's um it's a as i said it's a very low income sector and the factories has to do more and indeed the minister there's both has a role in this to support the, the farm families and especially the low income sector uh, in the sheep sector and looking then at the national flock, has that increased or decreased in the last number of years? It's it's staying static. We're about mm-hmm. two two point six, two point seven million the last number of years, and it's it's staying around there. But my information is at the minute that farmers was reducing numbers at the minute and uh, you know cutting back because of the whole cost of fertilizer everything. There's huge costs involved there, and they just can't keep simply keep going at it. And, you know, when you see and look at the, the whole aspect, even a lot of talk about the environment and everything, like sheep farming is the most friendly environmentally sector that you, that you could be in. And it should be supported. Like we've seen in the budget of, of 2022 there, uh, the sheep sector got absolutely nothing in the, in the budget. And now the, way that the minister will talk about the cap and the sheep improvement scheme, you know, 12 euros we had 10 euros in the sheep uh, welfare scheme mm-hmm. and increased then by two euros in this new uh, scheme and the cap for for going to 2027 the five-year scheme but like two euros you know yourself Jim, yeah. two euros and yet i i've often been quoted as uh, the only value two euros has has is getting the the, tra- the trolley in the local shopping center right well it definitely won't park your car in most towns uh, for too definitely. long anyway that's a certainty 
can I ask you one final question before I let you go, Kevin? What percentage of the national flock are in-housed during the winter? Ah, it'll be... Um, off the top of my head, I'm not. It'll be smallish. Uh, yeah. It'll be small because, um, especially along all the western seaboard, you know, out on hills and that, most yeah. farmers wouldn't wouldn't uh, house their sheep. What they might what they might do uh, is bring them closer to the the farm uh, the farmyards at lambing time, and you know, the yew with her uh, singular, especially a pair, or maybe you know, if she had the triplets or something, you'd have them in for a couple of days or a day or two until uh, the lambs get a little bit stronger, but. You know there is there is uh, farmers housing them, you know, and slatted sheds and that. But it, the, the majority of sheep it, it'd be outwintered. Okay, well, look at I want to thank you ever so much, Kevin, for joining me this morning. That listener was Kevin Comiskey, who is the chairperson of the IFA's National uh, Sheep Committee. And if anybody listening to us this morning have any information about the dogs that attacked the sheep in Laura and in Moneygall. Would they ever please pass on that information to the local Gardaí? Listeners, my next guest this morning is Harold Kingston, and Harold is the IFA Vice President for Munster. And uh, there is a big national event taking place on Tuesday uh, next in Thoman Park. And Harold is with me now, this morning to talk about it. Good morning, Harold, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Good to have you back. May I wish you, first of all, a very happy New Year. Thank you very much. We, we could we could nearly say the Christmas as well, I suppose, <laughs> but um, it, it tends to, to drag on in some households for for a little longer into January. Uh, yeah, um, do- with, with with the with the weather, it kind of encourages you to stay in the Christmas mood <laughs> rather than going outside too much as well. Well, I suppose it does. Anyway, I, I presume. Uh, we're all now getting busy to for a calving season. It's only a few weeks away if it isn't started already. So yeah, the whole spring, spring won't be long coming around. So it's it's important. I always tell people that uh, it, it, Christmas is a very important event for farmers because it allows you to fatten up, and and January then is important to to get you moving. Um, and, mm-hmm. and get exercise and be fit and ready for, for, for the springtime when it comes. Yeah, and that comes very, very quickly, I can tell you. And uh, there is some a lot of heavy work to be done on both da- dairy farms, tillage farms, maybe not so much on for the beef farmer, but at the same well, time... Well, if, if, you're, if you're in suckling, there's a lot of calving of cows and oh, there's, there is, there's a lot, yeah, of, there lot is. of sheep to be lambed and so on as well. So... <laughs> Nobody without a bit of work. Everybody is busy. I suppose when we are talking about how busy people are, uh, I suppose we should remind farmers uh, in particular and people visiting farms to be conscious of farm safety. Yeah, there's a number of things to be conscious of with farm safety at this time of the year. And I know, unfortunately, we've had a number of of dog attacks Mm -hmm. uh, on on sheep in particular recently and and some, some devastating consequences there. For, for people who, who wouldn't be used to being on farmland and, and suddenly their, their dog is, is after wrecking havoc and they may or may not be aware of it. The other things, of course, as well is for, for any, any farmers or any visitors to farms uh, for the next while because of, of calvings and lemmings and so on, uh, livestock are far more dangerous uh, at that particular time of the year because their their mothering instincts uh, will, will kick in. Uh, and even, even though you might think that it's lovely to go petting a calf or petting a lamb, um, the mothering instinct of, of, of the, the, the cow or the yo uh, 
will, will be to protect that animal. Um, so so it, it's definitely a time to be very careful. And likewise, with long days and long nights uh, for, for farmers, it's important to make sure that you do schedule meal times and schedule sleep in order to make sure that you're uh, fully aware of, of your surroundings and fully with it for to be able to deal with everything that is happening. Um, so be, besides all the various legislations and and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and things coming down the tracks, um, it, it's, it's physically making making sure that you are you are fit and well and mentally making sure you're fit and well is very important for, for anybody facing into the busy time that we're facing into now. Okay. And now talking about busy time and talking about uh, being prepared, the event in Toman Park on Tuesday, mm. it's all about climate change, I believe. Yeah, look, it, I suppose it's centred around climate, but that's um, obviously for farmers with, with a lot of things coming down the tracks, they're all interrelated, you know, whether you look at the climate targets and, and, the, and the plan that has been put together by, by government, uh, whether you look at the nature restoration laws and, and a lot of that involves designations and possibly re-wetting of bogs and so on, which all ties in with the climate side of it as well uh, as, as the biodiversity side um, and, and sustainable use directives on sprays and fertilisers, emission directives, even the nitrates regulations. And, the middle, and in the middle of all that, we also have to try and produce a bit of food as well. You know, so it, it's, it's, it's all encompassing, but primarily it's centred around the, um, the, the the climate act and 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 all the targets that are coming with that, um, and to that end, it is uh, we're, we're we're delighted to to, to have uh, Minister McConnell himself coming uh, to to speak. He'll be one one of of the main speakers at the at the event as well. Um, whether it's the case that he he, he needs to face us or or face up to responsibilities or whatever, um, it's important that he's there and it's important that um, that that we can hear him and that he hears us um, at, mm-hmm. at the event as well. So, while obviously the the majority of the speakers that will be um, speaking at us uh, will be dealing with the whole science behind climate and the science behind uh, biodiversity. And, and all and and all the policy direction of of all these different directives, the reality is it's going to be a political decision at the end of the day, um, and and that that's why it's important then that we have the the political aspects as, as well as the scientific and, and policy aspects. Uh, there seems to be within government definitely a decision has been made to plough on and to reach our targets by twenty thirty. Yeah, and look, that's that's a given. That's that's the the targets have been set. Whatever we were arguing about beforehand in terms of percentages and and and, and tons of of carbon and so on, the reality is, look, the target has been set there. Um, what we now need to figure out is 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 how do we get there? And and a lot of that, you know, in terms of 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 policy direction, farmers will will follow where 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 the policy goes in terms of you know obviously the economics of it, um, but as, but as well as that the practicalities of it. And if if farmers feel they can make a difference and make a living at the same time, then we will move very quickly to 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 do that. Unfortunately, at the moment though, we're 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 hearing a lot of words, but we're not seeing enough lot of finance behind it. And uh, as, as you know, and as your listeners will know, you know, without without the finance to back it, and 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 you know, whether whether that's direct funding or whether it's it's some you know like like what happens with the carbon tax, what's known mm-hmm. as the nudge effect, where you're you're encouraged to do one thing rather than what you're currently doing, 
that kind of thing, you know, without funding, a funding model behind it, then then people aren't going to do it. It's the same whether whether it's to do with choosing an electric car over diesel or whether it's choosing to, 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 to plant wheat or plant carrots or, or, or grow grass for cows. It, it's all down to what is what is your land capable of doing, what is the economic output and, and so on of that uh, particular decision as well. Now, I, you know, I mentioned government and last question, and I suppose the, the big question as far as government is concerned is, will they ever give us the roadmap as to how they're going to uh, meet those targets? Well, look, our, our job on, on, on next Tuesday, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a day-long event, it's, it's starting at 11 o'clock and finishing at 4 o'clock or thereabouts. Our, our target for that mm-hmm. day is actually to, to, to try and tease out what exactly that roadmap uh, will be from our point of view. Um, government have, have given a certain amount of, of, uh, of information. We're still lacking an awful lot of information as to, as to where exactly that roadmap is. The initial roadmap was set out by Chagas in terms of what's known as the MAC curve, mm-hmm. um, which, which, which sets out that we can achieve 18% or, or thereabouts, maybe a bit with it uh, in, in terms of our emission reductions. The reality, though, uh, is, is that there's a much higher percentage that we have to reach that side of it. We know technology will, will get us some of the way. Some of that technology hasn't been uh, put into what's known as the inventories yet, and, and we, we will have somebody there from, from the EPA um, talking about, about that side of it as well. You know, looking at mm-hmm. literally, you know, when, when it comes to dealing with climate, there's there's two aspects to it. One one is actually dealing with the climate, um, but whether it's to do with mitigation and that is reducing emissions, or whether it's adapt, adapting to the, to the changed climate. The other side of it then is 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 the the whole side of counting, whereby if if you have a, a target of a certain number of tons that you have to reduce, there's an awful lot of things you might you might be able to do that don't actually count. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's very important that the inventory gets updated as well and recognises the, the the new things that we can do and whether that's to do with with uh, improved grassland, whether it's to do with multi-species, whether it's to do with animal breeding and so on. It needs to be all part of that inventory uh, when when uh, you know and and doing that means obviously then whether it's government starts putting in funding, but the private sector will also start putting in funding if they know that. Uh, some new invention that that comes along, or new uh, initiative on 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 feed additives or whatever. If they know it's going to count, then obviously it's worth investing money in that as well. So this is an event then where a, a farmer or a group of farmers will be able to go to, and maybe in some way influence what that roadmap is going to be. Absolutely, yeah. So like it's it's not just about listening to people. There will be mm. panel discussions. Uh, there's three different sessions across across the day. Um, and, and as part of those panel discussions, there will be uh, obviously the moderators will be will be doing some of the questioning, but there will be opportunity for people from the floor to, to ask questions uh, and, and look at even as a networking event. We, we haven't had much chance for networking when, when you went online, so it's, it's difficult to do it. But uh, the, you know, this this will be an opportunity for for farmers uh, um, and to to interact with the policymakers. We can only influence policy. Uh, as as IFA and as lobbyists and so on, um, the reality then, of course, is that the farmer is the one ultimately who is going to have to implement that policy. Uh, and without having the implementers in place, there's no. It doesn't matter how many scientists you have or how, how many um, policy experts or politicians you have. If the farmers aren't with you, it, mm-hmm. it's just simply not going to ha- actually happen. Um, so so this is an opportunity to influence 
the, the politicians and the policy makers uh, as well as learning about what, what is actually coming. The key, the key thing for anybody who is interested in going on, along to it is get onto the IFA website uh, and, and follow. Uh, there's, there's a link available there for to register. Um, the key thing, no, we're, we're not. We're, this is the conference centre in Tolman Park. It's not um, open air on the pitch or whatever. So don't worry about weather. Uh, and there's plenty of parking available there as well. The, the key thing is that that uh, there is a limit on the number of people we can we can manage there. Um, so it is important that people register beforehand, and you can do that for the website. Uh, or if, if you ring the local IFA office um, in, in your region, then you'll be able to, to register that way as well. OK, well, look at Harold. I want to thank you ever so much for your time. I wish you a great conference on Tuesday in Toman Park. And I would encourage as many IFA members across the country that they would make an effort to try to get there, if at all possible. Listeners, my final guest this morning is Martin Hayden, TD, Minister for State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. And you may or you may not be aware that uh, during the past week, uh, the beef has been, uh, I suppose, allowed to go back into China after two years absence and this is great news for Irish beef finishers and uh, the Irish beef industry board BIA etc and the minister would like to talk about that this morning so good morning minister and thank you ever so much for joining us here uh, this morning so this is good news minister great news good morning to you Jim and happy new year to you and, and your listeners yes fantastic news this week um, where we are able to confirm that we have regained market access uh, for Irish beef to the Chinese market, which is obviously a really um, big move for us, something we have worked very hard on for the last two and a half years. In May 2020, um, the Department of Agriculture uh, discovered an isolated case of atypical BSE in an animal here in Ireland. And uh, just to remind your listeners, there are two types of BSE. There's classical BSE that you get from feed, and then there's the atypical case that can happen very randomly, very rarely, um, in, in sporadically in an older cattle. Um, it is no uh, risk to human health. Um, that, that animal uh, is identified and never went into the food chain. But as part of our protocol with China, it would be right that we would notify them that that individual case happened and market access ceased for a while. Um, we didn't think it would be so long for us to get access back. Um, and that was very unfortunate. There was a huge amount of diplomatic efforts um, on my part and the part of Mr. McConnell on our officials in the market access team in the department on our, and on the basis of our officials over in Beijing as well in the embassy. So, um, you know, that work has come to fruition now. And it's really good news and a great start to 2023 for Irish farmers, uh, for the industry, but also for our wider economy because beef trade is worth so much, particularly to our rural economy. And um, it's also a great vote of confidence in Irish uh, beef, which has now a negligible um, health status from the World Animal Health Organization. Um, so it's the lowest risk uh, status that there can be in terms of animal health when it comes to BSE. So um, I, I suppose just to say that, you know, in 2019, we only gained market access to China for the first time in April 2018 for Irish beef. And in 2019, we saw exports to the value of 96 million euro. And to put that into context, that is half of the total amount of exports of Irish beef outside of the UK and the EU, which are our two main markets for beef. So it's a really significant amount that in a very short period of time had built up. We were getting to a point of serious momentum. 
And my focus now as Minister with Responsibility for New Market Development in the Department of Agriculture is to work with the industry. We'll get out there in a trade mission, work with our Bodea team in Shanghai, as well as our diplomatic team to the embassy in Beijing, and um, drive on now with momentum and build that momentum back up. We still have a lot of contacts out there, and I believe we can get back to selling a large volume of beef and high-value um, beef into what is a very high-value market for us, uh, potentially. And, um, you know, again, as I say, a great opportunity for our world-class grass-fed Irish beef. Yeah, and good and good news, as I said there at the beginning. You know, given that uh, China are, do have their own problems currently with COVID, it's great to see that they're, you know, that uh, Irish beef is going back into China uh, in spite of the problems that they themselves are having. Yeah, absolutely. And look, China's opening up itself, yeah. you know, after nearly three years of, of tight COVID-19 controls, they say, and there's renewed optimism in the market. Um, and an eagerness to do business and prospects for growth, I, I believe, are really strong. Like the favourable market conditions, coupled, coupled with the reopening of food service uh, sector in China, where Irish product was previously most commonly placed, um, means that Ireland is well positioned to rebuild our beef trade at China. So while it has taken us longer than we would have liked, it's actually a really good time to be getting beef access back in there because this is right at the same time as Chinese people are starting to get back to living their lives a little bit more normally. Uh, and that means the food service sector will have a much greater demand in China. And, you know, I believe we'll stand ready and our meat plants here and our Irish beef farmers will stand ready to uh, fill a large amount of um, supply if um, if we can open those doors in the market, and I believe we will. And, Minister, do you foresee that into the future we will be able to open markets with uh, countries that we're not exporting to at the moment? Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, we're... Overall, we're exporting food and Irish food and drink to 180 countries around the world. There's not many countries in the world where we don't have some product going in. Um, the dairy, uh, our dairy produce will be in nearly every country. Um, but with beef, we have a number of countries we still want to make access to. South Korea is another very important market for us that we're making progress in and that we uh, hope to uh, further on uh, and, and make more progress on in, in, in this year. Um, so we always have new markets. Um, but also, we want to mind the markets we're in. And I always continue to explore the, the new opportunities to expand within those markets. So just before Christmas there, I was in France at the Seattle mm-hmm. Food Fair, which is the biggest food fair in the world with 400 visitors over four days. And, you know, Bordea and uh, Irish companies had a very strong presence there, and it was great to be able to be there and support them. So we don't um, we, we don't rest in our laurels. We don't take markets that we have for granted. We always look for opportunities to grow in where we are. But obviously, gaining access and gaining increased access in markets um, and getting access back into places like China. While it has a great value in itself in terms of volume, um, it also is a really big vote of confidence for others who are looking uh, at Irish, you know, our world-class Irish grass-fed beef. Okay, well, well done anyway on getting back into uh, the China market to yourself and to your staff in the department. Now, coming elsewhere, I suppose, I know you have a, a big interest in farm safety. We're just beginning a new year. It didn't start too well, unfortunately, with we've had one fatality and we're only a week into the year. So, uh, you know, have you any message, uh, Minister, that you would like to pass on to our listeners? I, I do indeed, Jim. Look, I, you know, when we talk about farm safety, I'm always really slow to talk about numbers and statistics because behind every number is, is a human life, is a family, is a community devastated by a loss. Um, and that indicates the fatalities. And unfortunately, you know, the latest statistics out uh, at the end of the year 
from the Health and Safety Authority, who are the statutory body for safety in the workplace, showed that out of the 26 workplace fatalities in 2022 in Ireland, 12 were recorded in agriculture, which means, yet again, farming is the most dangerous profession in the country by distance. Um, the next nearest sector is construction, where there were seven fatalities um, in 2022. Um, now, 12 is, you know, 12 to many, um, but it is a significant reduction on the historic average of 20 per year, which was the case for, for many, many years up until the last couple of years. Um, and I do believe we're making progress and it's important that we have hope uh, for people um, that they, they know this this is something that we can continue to strive to work on by working together. But it does require all of us to change our attitude towards risk um, to identify risk and to not you know, take it for granted and not to ignore it. Um, and I suppose the main point I want to drive home to your listeners uh, here this morning is to say that farm safety needs to be the first thought in every day when a farmer is pulling on their wellies and not just an afterthought because of all the people. And as you say, we've uh, started the year badly, unfortunately, with a fatality in Galway um, in the very early days of the new year uh, that was, has been reported in the media as, as a farming in, um, safety incident. That fatality, you know, coupled with last year's, none of those people or families ever thought that, that such an incident would happen to them. Um, so similarly, when a farmer gets up in the morning, it doesn't think it'll happen to them. It can. And that's without looking at the challenges we face in terms of very serious non-fatal incidents, of which there are thousands every year, and many of which go unreported. But these are incidents that can put farmers in hospital for some length of time, and all the challenges there are then and the pressure there is on the family farm. You know, farmers are their own uh, farm's greatest asset and we need them to mind themselves better. So we know the hazards on the farm. Machinery and vehicles are responsible for over half of all fatal incidents and there's rarely a second chance when something goes wrong there. So we just don't take a chance, can't. And now is the time to look at all the opportunities uh, to fix things that are hazardous. So if that handbrake isn't working on the tractor, if the PTO shaft is dodgy, don't put it on the long finger resolve to fix it now straight away and then similarly livestock cause the highest number of non-fatal incidents but very serious injuries and also they can be fatal too but the most amount of non-fatal incidents are involved with livestock and with the calving season just around the corner we have a short period window now where farmers can take the next couple of weeks to look at the cattle handling facilities think about how they handle calving cows and heifers and all the rest and is there anything they can do around the yard to make that yard safer um, and to resolve to do that now, not to put that in the long finger. Um, because, you know, by, by reducing risk, we will reduce the amount of fatal incidents. And we are making progress in that way, but we're still far too dangerous uh, and a, a profession to be working in. You know? Okay, well, look at Minister. Thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. I'd say well done to you again with getting back into the China China market. And may I wish you and all your officials a very happy new year. And I'm quite sure you and I will be talking many times during 2023. Absolutely. And many happy returns to you, Jim, and all your listeners. That listeners was Martin Hayden, TD, Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Before I sign off this morning, listeners, I would like to wish you all a very happy 2023. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and you'll join me, Jim Finn, at the same time next week for another Ag Report on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dwyer presents Down Your Way.